Hey guys, welcome to You Tuned In. This is the last episode of season one. Um, that doesn't mean it's the last episode altogether. I just mean it's season one because this is going to be conflict resolution part two. Uh, I know it's been a couple of weeks and I hope everyone has had a chance to get caught up on all the episodes and I hope everyone feels refreshed and encouraged. Um, like I said, we're getting into part two of conflict resolution and we'll dive into what it actually looks like to do this transactionally and in romantic relationships and the relationship with ourselves. Let's get it. So when we left off last episode, we talked about why conflict resolution was so important. And we talked about how to not simply replace conflict, but to actually get rid of it. Uh, We also talked about how, although this is an individual journey that We really can only achieve success when we approach it from a community standpoint and become accountable to the next generation, right? Because none of us were able to see these things. And I say none of us, of course, there are people out there that have great examples, but the majority of us were not able to see really great examples all around us of conflict resolution happening. And so we we live in kind of a broken time where people are not feeling confident that they can do this in an effective way. So they just don't do it at all. And all of our relationships suffer. And so all these things are well and good, right? But what does it actually look like in practice? How do we actually do it? You know, I think the first question we have to ask is, do both parties want the conflict resolved? Conflict resolution is absolutely a two-person scenario. Uh, When you're talking about a relationship, especially a romantic relationship, I've seen and experienced so much where there's a one sided scenario down through the stream of time in my life. You know, there's there's a couple of proverbs that are my favorite and they're they're my favorites because they're back to back and it can almost seem confusing. It can almost seem like it's wrong or something. And one of them is answer not a fool according to his folly, unless thou be like unto him. Right. Don't sit back. Don't sit there debating back and forth with somebody that is ignorant or truly has no desire to be enlightened about what it is that you guys are talking about. They just want to argue. You argue with the person that's a fool or, or you, you just become a fool yourself. But then back to back, it says there's another one that says answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceits. It's like, wait a minute. I thought I wasn't supposed to answer a fool. Well, obviously, there's times there's times where you need to answer a fool according to his folly. Lest he walk away thinking that what he just said or, or she just said was completely right. And they're going to hand that information to someone else <laughs> and, and make more fools in the world. And so there's, there's a time for all of these things. And there's a way to do this that is good. But first you have to make sure that both, par- both parties actually want to resolve that conflict. Otherwise, it's a futile effort. So that's how you, I think that's the first question that you have to have when you start to practice this. And, and much like anything that you're going to be practicing on another person, speaking as someone who is uh, going to be helping people through these things or, or wanting to give insights, there needs to be an external standard to keep people from being hurt by your effort to help them. We don't want to hurt people in our efforts to help them. We don't want to love them to death. It's that, like that little cartoon, that Elmira cartoon. She loves the pets so much that she hurts them, squeezes them to death. 
We want our we want our efforts to actually be helpful. So we have to have an external standard for what we practice. And I do believe that we will always be students of life and the lessons that life has to offer us. But especially so when it comes to things that are as important as helping people and ourselves navigate interpersonal relationships. When you talk about a lawyer, you'll, you'll hear a lawyer say that they practice law. You hear a doctor that they, they practice medicine. I'm using these two examples because we can see how extreme it would be for someone to practice in these areas without some sort of external standard that is very high and protective of the parties that would be affected by their execution in them. Right. If you were if you were falsely accused of a felony or murdering somebody and some random guy calls you and says, I would I would love to represent you in court. And you're like, OK, well, what law office you with? And the guy's like, oh, I'm not really with a particular law office because I'm not a licensed attorney. But listen, I know what they do and I know I'm really good at it, too. So let's do this. Would you let that guy represent you? <laughs> It sounds outlandish, right? That's, that sounds like an outlandish thing to say, but all too often, that's exactly what we're doing. When we are giving advice or lending an ear to people that are having relationship issues, especially romantically, I feel like that's exactly what happens when you don't have an external standard. As you already know, Anytime I mention external standard, I'm referencing the Bible as I believe the Bible to be the word of God. But I understand that people are going to fall into different places concerning that. Either way, though, regardless, you can't be your own checks and balances system. It just won't work. You're going to hurt a lot more people than you'll help. And for the sake of getting into the meat of this conversation, uh, we're going to talk about people that profess Christianity. That's the bulk of the people who listen to this podcast anyways. I'm not trying to exclude, but to move and progress this uh, on, we'll talk about Christianity. And when you are giving advice, if you have proclaimed Christianity, when you are giving advice, have you made sure that that advice is God-given or spirit-led? And in tandem with that, have you made sure that you can support what you're telling them using the Bible? This is how we do this thing transactionally. A lot of times you'll see something happen in a moment or you'll want to handle a thing in a moment. But really a transaction uh, starts way before you get to that moment. Way before you get to that moment. And the reason is, is because everybody has an opinion. And most of us are just chomping at the bit to share that opinion. But if you're proclaiming to be a Christian and not giving Christ-inspired advice, you're no different than the rando who wants to be your lawyer with no legal pedigree. You're the same thing. And to be clear, a Christian is a follower of Christ's teachings. I think sometimes we get that mixed up, and I want to be clear about that. You'll see a lot of people in the world that say, oh, I can't stand Christians. They do this, that, this, that, and the other. What they're actually referencing is people that will be hypocritical. Now, Christians are not proclaiming to be perfect. And I'm not trying to dive into any sort of theology lesson here, but a Christian's claim to fame isn't perfection. It is a constant effort and a striving to attain to the love that Christ emanated 
and his messaging, to be a follower or a student of his messaging. So there's people out there who will live whatever kind of life they want to live and then claim Christianity. That's not really what I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about people that really feel like that I'm going to to make a go at this thing and utilize the Bible. You have to have these checks and balances in place if you're going to try to give somebody godly wisdom on how to have a great relationship. And this becomes uh, emphatically important concerning a marriage. I've gotten a lot of good marriage advice in life. But for every piece of good marriage advice that I got, I have probably three to five pieces of really bad marriage advice that had no biblical basis. The only way to be sure that you are lining up is to make sure that you've put time into the Bible itself to know what it's telling you about these situations. That's why I said that these transactional circumstances happen way before you actually get in the transaction. And if you don't care enough, be honest with yourself. If you don't care enough to go read and to study that, then you probably shouldn't be practicing counseling or ministry or giving advice, period. Just like if you didn't care enough or it was too much of a hassle or burden to go to law school, pass the bar, not only should you not be practicing law, you cannot practice law. For years, I've heard renowned teachers and men of faith tell other people who were in need of guidance phrases or things like, well, I don't know how you would get out of that situation, but I can sure tell you how to never get in it. This phrase is not only a terrible phrase, but it's a lie. (laughs) No one can tell you how not to get into every situation because no one can control every circumstance. People are people in any in any relationship. There's two parties involved unless you're in the relationship with yourself. And I would argue that there's still two parties involved. But even if that were true, even if that were a true statement, how does it help the soul that's standing in front of them at that moment asking for their help and wisdom? Well, I can't tell you how to get in what you get out of what you're in. I can only tell you how to to not get in what you're in. (laughs) Does that benefit them? Does that automatically are they going to walk away from that conversation and go, oh, I guess you're right. Thank you so much. My life has been enhanced. (laughs) I think it's perfectly fine to not know something, right? I'm not talking about not knowing something. I think that's fine. And even better to admit that you don't know it. But after that, after you say, you know what? I just don't know. After that, as someone who practices ministry, teaching or counseling, your next steps ought to be spending time praying and studying for an answer to that question so that you're not there in perpetuity for your whole life. That's part of of being willing to get down in the dirt with somebody. Sometimes we're not willing to, to get answers for certain things that seem nuanced because we're not in it ourselves. If we're not in it, you have to have empathy. You have to be able to put yourself in someone else's shoes in order to be able to do this transactionally. And you got to try to think of what it would be like to be right where they are and then care enough to go to go to work trying to figure it out.
This is how we become effective to our communities. Because many times for answers, you have to dig. I don't know about you, but I don't know how you'd be able to dig without getting in the dirt. We dig for answers. Sometimes that means you got to get down in there. And when I say get in the dirt, I don't mean that you got to get into everybody's situation and, and pick a side or do this, that or the other. But I do believe that you have to be intentional about making sure that the parties that you're helping know that you're willing to get down into the nitty gritty with them without judgment. And without hypocrisy, without your put take off your holier than thou robe that sometimes we like to wear. Step down off of your elevated platform and get down in the dirt with them. Be there for them. And help them answer the question. I had this guy one time uh, and I grew up in a certain place uh, and I went to church in the same place until I was about 18. I went to church in the same place and I, I remember I've been in the same building for a really long time with the exception of a few years where we lived in a different part of the state. But there was a guy there that I saw all the time and me and this man never spoke, never, ever spoke. And at this point in time in my life, there was a lot of things that anybody, any random person could point to that was wrong in my life. I wasn't out there being a heathen or a hellion, but I definitely wasn't overly serious about what it is that I should be doing. And so there were things that you could point at if you wanted to point at something that I was doing wrong. But this particular subject that this man wanted to talk to me about that day just wasn't one of them. I had this girl that I was dating and she came to church. And I kid you not, some of y'all are going to be somewhere snickering when I say this, but it's true. She had burned her neck with a curling iron. It was real. That's true. But after church that day, he came up to me and he, and he isolated me by myself. And he says, hey, do you mind if I chat with you? And I said, yeah. And he starts his phrase by saying, you know, I love you, right? And I almost audibly laughed. I chose not to, but I almost audibly laughed because I'm thinking, I don't, we don't know each other's name. And I knew he was going to tell me something that he felt like I needed to be doing differently, but how would I know you love me? You ain't been in the dirt with me, and there's been dirt lately. But he said, I just wanted to make sure you know that a young man like yourself that, you know, that preaches, he ought not to show up to church with his girlfriend with a big old hickey on her neck. And I just kind of, in my mind, I'm thinking, you have no idea. But I just smiled and I said, hey, I, I'm thankful that you love me, and I know that you, uh, obviously, you know, you wouldn't have come over here unless you felt like God told you to, so I thank you for that. But I got to tell you, what you think is happening here is not transpiring. But I appreciate your love. And I left it at that. But in my mind, I could never have felt further away from somebody who wanted to be a counselor than I did in that moment. His heart, I feel like, was in the right place. That's an uncomfortable conversation to have. So I applaud him for wanting to have that uncomfortable conversation. But I chide him because he did not have any other conversation with me before. And he did not make sure to put the work in and the time in to know that he was being led on mission to come and speak to me. And he actually created more distance between he and I. You got to be willing to do the work. That's what these look like in transaction. There's not a magic bullet. There's not like, okay, you're going to go through here's step A, B, C and D in every conversation. If you do this, you'll do really well. I've been in a lot of sales classes over the years and they'll tell you how to, how to have difficult conversations and conflict resolution and how these things work. The truth is, is that in practice, you need to care about both the people involved. 
and the best possible outcome, which means you got to be connected to them. I remember I was going to church with some people and I don't I, I don't think I'd ever been to their house before. If they had been to mine, it was like once it was just like, oh, we were just church buddies. But I had this dream about them one time. And in the dream that I had, things were not okay. I won't dive into the dream, but there were things that were going on in the dream that were just not okay. And it made me so uncomfortable because I don't think about these people on a regular basis. Um, And I had a dream and this man was was allowing some things to happen that that wasn't great. And so I got up from the dream and I remember being so stressed out because I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to do? Is this is this from you or is this not from you? So I went into a fast about it. If you're listening and you're not familiar with fasting, that just means that I went without food and I went without water and I anointed my head and I tried to have a singular focus on trying to get an answer from God about what to do in this situation. And I asked, was I supposed to talk to him about it or just leave it alone? Or am I supposed to just pray about it? Or is it not from him at all? And during the fast, I felt like God told me, I want you to go and talk to him about this. I do need you to bring this up. And I was thinking to myself, well, this is a really awkward conversation, Lord. You're going to have to create a window of time or an avenue where I can have this really awkward conversation that can go well. Well, the very next meeting Sunday at church, these people invite me to their house. I had never been to their house before. And I thought, okay, Lord, I'm going to go over there. But in my mind, I'm thinking I need more than this because (laughs) this is not an easy conversation to have. So I get to their house, and when I get to their house, uh, we have dinner, and you know, after eating dinner, we're just eating some cookies, and he says, hey, do you wanna, do you wanna go and, and shoot some hoops with me down the street? And I'd never done anything athletic with this person in my life. I thought that was unique, so I said, yeah, let's do it. So he grabbed a basketball, and just he and I, our wives stayed in the house, and just he and I walked to this basketball court. And as we walked to this basketball court, uh, we just chatted about random things, talking about the weather, and he dribbled the ball a couple times and he got ready to shoot it. And he says, okay, I'm ready. And I said, ready for what? And he said, God told me that you have something to say to me. And I just wanted to tell you that I'm ready to hear it. And I mentioned this story because it has nothing to do with me, but everything to do with what I believed. I believed that if I sought God and if I put in the work, then I would have a moment I would have a perfect window of time where I could be effective to this person in the conflict resolution. And it was a widely effective conversation. It went great. But you got to be willing to get in the dirt. Sometimes it's going to require you maybe to maybe to avoid some food for a second. Sometimes it's going to require you that when you want to watch TV, you want to sit down, watch the game, maybe maybe actually pull out the Bible and study it. Maybe do that on a consistent basis. Maybe build some level of pedigree biblically to where when people are talking to you, not only can they have confidence in the answers that you're giving, but you can have confidence in the answers that you're giving because they're not your answers. You're simply consulting an external manual. We have a lot of people right now that don't know what the Bible actually says about how to deal with specific relationships. And because they don't know, they just regurgitate something someone else told them. And that's just not going to cut it. That's how we got where we are today. That's how we got in the mix of all these terrible relationships and a lot of people that are not accountable and no real path towards conflict resolution. When we don't know what to do, we do nothing. 
I'm going to say that again because it's true. When you don't know what to do, you do nothing. Watch yourself. In life, any scenario, if you ever wake up and you have no clear direction, what do you do? Nothing. Veg out on the couch all day. Work on yourself first to make sure you are studied and equipped to resolve conflict, but even more importantly, that you're willing to do what it takes. God loves a willing heart. You're willing to do what it takes. Then make sure you're properly motivated by love and a servant's heart. Conflict resolution, especially in a romantic relationship or a marriage, can get you in deep trouble by many, many different audiences. Be sure that you know how you yourself feels about these things and make sure you have the meekness and authority to stand on what you know while being humble and able to still learn. So glad you tuned in. If you got upset, feel free to tune out.